Hi, Mrs. Weissman. How are you? Greetings to you. Good to see uh, you. Did, did you have a good Yantif? I did. I did. Actually, I stayed home and I studied the entire time. Oh, that's so special. Um, gave me an opportunity to catch up on my studying. Um, um, my great-grandson is being bar mitzvah this weekend. Oh, where is that? In Providence. Oh, which child is that? Um, the boy's name, the little boy is Chaim. Chaim, and what's his last name? Berlin, Penny Berlin. Oh, Penny Berlin. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And where are you? I am in Baltimore, and that's where I'm going to be. I'm not going. Uh-huh. I have to cancel. It's a big trip. I haven't canceled it yet. But yeah. uh, my body just is not up to it. Okay. Well, Parsha's not so. Longest Parsha uh, in the whole Torah. But it's actually uh, rather repetitive, so it actually doesn't have that much more information than a, a regular Torah portion. But there's still plenty to learn. And uh, we're coming off the heels of Shruis, hopefully we're uh, st- still still strengthening our Torah learning as we head into the summer. So the, the thing that this week's Parsha is most famous for is it talks about the gifts that the Jewish princes, every... Every tribe had a prince, a leader, and in the uh, inauguration of the tabernacle, the temple, and that the Jews had in the desert, um, they uh, they during the inauguration, every prince gave a uh, very very lavish, expensive um, uh, gift towards the uh, inauguration, and every tribe they actually all gave the same exact gifts. So it's interesting when it starts, when it, before it starts to list off, it, it says that these were the princes. And the way it's worded, it sounds like they were the princes before they even were actually officially stamped. It sounds like they were leaders before they were even voted in. It's like someone would say, you know, someone's the president and they were still not the president yet. So Rashi um, pays attention to this and says that, in fact, they were. They became the official princes of Israel because they were the leaders of Israel. And what was it about them that made them uh, the leaders? Rashi reminds us that these were the people that when the Jewish people were enslaved in the desert— these were the people that when the ta- um, Egyptian taskmasters would come and demand uh, extra work from the, from the Jewish people, uh, and they would tell the Jewish leaders, you know, force the Jews to work harder. And these merci- uh, merciful leaders did not. And then the Egyptians came and they said, ask the leaders, why didn't you get them to work harder? And they, you know, basically shouldered the blame and they got hurt instead. And says Rashi, this is what uh, made them leaders, even without being inaugurated as leaders. And that's why ultimately they merited to become the leaders because they cared. And the most important thing 
And a leader is someone who cares about their people. In fact, I was just reading a uh, coaching book and it said that effective leaders are, are ones who see themselves as servants of the people that they serve, that they're there to care about them, to take, to take care of them. And that's what we learn from, uh, from this uh, discussion about the princes. And, you know, we may think being uh, in charge of something is about what we get. No, being in charge of something is a responsibility. Moving along, we have the famous priestly blessing that uh, we, you know, that we get, uh, we get the Kohanim, they bless everyone, and not in Israel, it happens on the holidays, in Israel it happens every day, I believe Svartim do it uh, every day, and this is a very powerful blessing, it's really considered like the ultimate blessing, and, and when you break it down, you know, you really see how powerful it is. So we know the famous words, or we can remind ourselves, it says, Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha, yo'er Hashem panavelecha v'choneka, and one more verse. So let's focus on the first word. It says, Yivarechecha, you should be blessed. Rashi says, what does that mean, you should be blessed? That's a, you know, that's a very uh, general term. So Rashi says, this refers to your assets. And it's interesting that you have the, like, the ultimate Jewish blessing, and the, what, what we start with is something physical, your assets, your nechassim. And I saw, I forgot where I saw it. I saw a book earlier today, picked up. It says that because in, actually in Judaism, everything is holy. There's nothing that doesn't have the potential and really itself is holy. Everything, when you work and everything, every talent that you have, every situation that we're in, there's no such thing. In Judaism, there really is no such thing as a separation of church and state. Everything is, everything can have a higher purpose. Can't say, oh, you know, I'm not being holy right now. I mean, obviously everything has to be, you know, healthy and not neurotic, but So when we ask, when us as Jews, when we ask for something physical, it's kind of like a parent. You know, parents, all they really want whenever they get something, most of the time it's to help their kids. So when we ask for physicality, it's really to help our higher cause. And that's what we learn from the fact that the first thing we ask for is... Um, is is spiritual is is uh, is physicality. Moving along over here, so we have the probably infamous piece in the Torah that talks about the sota, not soda, a sota. What's a sota? Simply put, you have a woman who uh, is hanging out with uh, a married woman who's hanging out with another guy. Uh, being somewhat promiscuous, the guy is not being appropriate, the woman is not being appropriate. And all, long story short, there is an incredible out-of-body uh, procedure they used to have in the times of the temple, a miraculous procedure, where in Jewish law, if, if a uh, spouse is unfaithful, 
then the marriage is over. It's interesting. Um, that's not, you know, something I think is, is so well known. But in Judaism, uh, in this situation, if in fact there was not just promiscuity, but in fact, you know, complete unfaithfulness, their marriage is over and it can no longer be continued. Once it's violated, it's done. And the question in this situation, the way they would figure out, because no one was being fessing up about it, there weren't perfect witnesses, but it was certainly um, circumstances were saying that it's certainly a very, uh, you know, certain things that if you do them, you kind of are asking for trouble. You know? And what happened in the times of the, of the, of the base of Mikdash, I don't know if it actually ever happened, but the system that was set up certainly could have happened. The system was set up that there was a, 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 a literally a magic potion. And they would, the coin they would have is they would take us this piece of the Torah, write it in special, like the kind of Torah ink on a scroll. And then they would, they would literally, and it had the name of God in it. And they would scrape off the ink, including God's name, into the water. And then the woman drank the water. And the water helped us clarify if, in fact, there really was an affair. A, and the part I wanted to focus on for a minute is that you mean, is actually a biblical prohibition in general from erasing God's name. There's all kinds of creative questions today. If something is digital, if that counts, you know, and, and things like that. But simply put, certainly when you have in the case they have there where they have this ink on parchment to erase God's name is a biblical prohibition. But yet God himself says, you know what? I see there's a relationship there on the rocks that uh, can possibly be fixed if there's clarification. And God says it's, more, it's important that my name be, be uh, defiled, be not treated appropriately if that would help bring peace between spouses. And we learn from there the how important peace is certainly with one's own spouse and to help anyone else achieve peace, you know, between family members and friends and community members. You see how, how it's, it's, it's not beneath anyone's honor. It's not even beneath, beneath God's honor to do that. And bringing peace is, is, is considered uh, the most uh, lofty uh, privileges uh, that a person really, really, um, really, uh, really elevates you to a, to a special plateau. So let's look again at the priestly blessing. It says, well, one of the terms is, I'll know to say it in English, that Hashem will make his face shine upon you. What does that mean, Hashem will make his face shine upon you? Again, there's very, very cryptic, very few words, and these, this is supposed to be the ultimate blessing. So there's a similar um, similar phrase in Ethics of the Fathers, where it says that Shammai says that greet every person with a pleasant expression of countenance. An interesting, uh, complicated term. He says, if you should greet every person 
with a pleasant expression of countenance. What does that mean? Just he's saying be friendly. It's a pretty complicated way to say be friendly. So I saw Rabbi Zelig Pliskin brings, and I forgot who he, bring, he is quoting, what he says, it's teaching us how to be friendly because being friendly, of course, there's a general sense that we all have, but there's an art to everything. And the details are not easy always, but if one pays attention to those details, it's very important and very helpful. So he breaks it down by pointing out all the words used by Shammai. He says, why does it say to greet every person with a pleasant expression of countenance? So what does it mean, countenance? Countenance refers to our actual, the face of a person. A, a face of a person is extremely powerful. It, it shows, it's, it's, it's just, just a very... When you look up, someone walks in the room, you look at them. They walk down the street. I'm sure you've all experienced when you walk down the street and someone looks down or looks away. Uh, usually it's subconscious, but it's not very, it doesn't feel good. When you give someone the courtesy, the respect of showing them your face, this then what, it's not always possible, but that is a very powerful thing. Then it uses the word expression. Now expression is exactly what it is. I can show you my face, but I could be a stone face. So I know I don't know what's worse, no face or stone face. But certainly when a person shows an interest, a non not even talking about a nice face, just a a a, a cognizant face, that is also part of what needs to be happening. And lastly, it speaks for itself, it says pleasant. Pleasant means pleasant. So when you're trying to be friendly and you're trying to give someone attention, you need all three components. If a person is pleasant but doesn't show their face, if a person has an interest but doesn't show their face or isn't pleasant, then it's always missing. And, and, and you can have that sometimes. We all do that sometimes. And it's the, the, the Mishnah is being extremely wise and Shimon Direction pointing out all the details of what comprises being give, giving someone the respect that every human being deserves. Why would a per, why are we not friendly sometimes? Why are we not respectful to people? We're all good people, we all mean well. It's helpful sometimes to pay attention to think about what might be the inhibitions that we have that would make us not um, be as, as respectful or friendly as we like. So one reason, which is the sub hopefully subconscious, is conceit. A person feels it's quote unquote beneath their dignity. You know, let the other person greet me first. Why do I have to be the one to, to make the initiative? Which obviously is false thinking, but it's certainly something which we can subconsciously do. Another, another more very common one is fear and insecurity. You know, you know, if I'm very friendly back or even I'm decent back to someone, I, you know, I may, I may be scared that, you know, maybe the person will, will not reciprocate. Maybe they won't be friendly back or maybe they'll even be upset back. 
And, and really, those are all not really, I mean, no, they're not, those reasons don't really bear weight, but they're important to realize because we all uh, are sensitive to those things. And uh, if we, you're aware of the beast, it's helpful to uh, overcome it. It says in the, in, the, in, in the Jewish writings that especially when there's tension, especially if there's tension with someone or, or someone in a different faction of the community, all the more so to be civil, be pleasant, uh, you know, respectful. The Mordechai Katz, the Rosh Hashiva in Cleveland for many years, he used to say you cannot imagine how much you, you can literally change someone's day or life with a, uh, with a respectful, pleasant greeting or, or, or meeting them. You have someone wake us up on the wrong side of the bed. Someone's been having a horrible day, a horrible stretch. And, and sometimes it's just that ah, someone, someone values me. Someone thinks I'm important. You really can, can, can accomplish incredible things with that. It says in the Talmud, so another big part, famous part in this parsha, is it that talks at length about the details of the Nazarite. What's the Nazir? Nazir was a person who, for different reasons, basically for a month's period, a minimum of a month, they decide that they are exercising restraint in a number of areas. They don't drink wine products. They don't come into contact with dead people. They, you know, they don't cut their hair. It's a very interesting, uh, unique, um, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, criteria that a person puts themselves in. At the end of that period, it says that they bring a sacrifice, a sin sacrifice. And the Talmud asks, why in the world is this person need to bring a sin sacrifice. This is supposed to be a time of higher spirituality. So what is it that they need to atone for? And the Talmud above Akama says, because he deprived himself of something and, and wasn't enjoying the world the way he could have. And maybe there was a good reason, and maybe even was a right reason. But... This world was given to us, to us to enjoy, and and that there's an element there of 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 not of not of not doing something that's right. Sometimes you need to, you know, you know, we always have to make decisions, and sometimes you sacrifice things. But sometimes even those sacrifices do end up doing something that say is not so good, and 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 we learn from there that the the, the Torah message, the Torah lifestyle. The overarching um, mode is not one of don't do this and do that. And it's one, yes, there's things we're not supposed to do and there's things we are supposed to do. But the overall theme is enjoy. In the, in Path of the Justice starts off, what is the purpose of existence to enjoy the wonderful world that God gave us? There are famous rabbis who said, you know, you know when they go to heaven, God's going to ask them, did you enjoy my Alps? Did you enjoy my fruit? There's a mitzvah to enjoy and appreciate the wonderful world that God gave us. That's certainly a very uh, Jewish thing, and we shouldn't get the wrong idea from the fact that, um, you know, there are sometimes things that we do refrain from 
But, you know, does it mean that in general that the MO is not to, to focus on enjoying, appreciating all the world has to offer? So we have, there was this whole procession and plan of all the princes of Israel during the, the 12 days of inauguration. They're all going to bring the same lavish gifts to the temple. And it really, the way it ended up being, they all brought the same gifts, but it didn't have to be that way. Because first you had the first prince came and he gave this incredible, incredibly lavish gift. And then you had the next tribe. The prince's name was Nisanel ben Suar. And he had a very important, he, would, he was at a very important juncture. Because when he was number two, he probably, in a certain sense, wanted to be unique. He doesn't want to be boring and bring the same gifts that the person before him gave. He wanted to be special. But he made a decision. He said, if I up the ante, if I deviate it, there's 10 more tribes. And everyone's going to have to keep doing something that someone else didn't do to be unique. And it's going to be an unhealthy pressure. Nisanel bin Suwar said, you know what? I'm going to bring the same exact wonderful present, the person before me. And he set a trend. He set a trend which bucked trends of jealousy and competition and unhealthy pressure. And that is just the way that the tabernacle needs to start off with lack of jealousy, lack of unhealthy competition and peace. And that is certainly something, you know, in our lives, you know, uh, a lot of times uh, we don't want to be unique and we want to do things and we, you know, we got to pay attention sometimes. You got to pay attention. Is this going to make it harder for other people? Is this going to create an unhealthy competition? Is it going to incite jealousy? Now we can't, sometimes you have to do things, but it's certainly something to, uh, to keep in mind. It was interesting though, because all the princes all brought their own unique gifts. They were the same ones, but they all brought their own. And they spent tons and tons of money. But there was one item that each tr prince shared with another prince. The wagons that they delivered the presents on, they were only six. So it was two princes shared wagons. And the commentaries ask, what was the purpose of this? <laughs> They're already spending, I think, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars doing the same thing over and over and over again. What, what are you accomplishing by sharing wagons? And the Dasa Kane, one of the medieval commentators, says, that this shows, you know what? It was important for them to each have their time and to be unique and to, to give, give of themselves. But they wanted to make sure that it was a unified endeavor. Therefore, they made sure let's partner in some way so we can be in unity. And that is, is, is what everything's all about. Because when, when there's not unity in the community, it's not good. So that was it was symbolic, but it's not the only time we find this symbol. This symbol, when Joseph was finally found by the brothers in Egypt, and he sent back up presents to his father. So we know that he sent up wagons, and I saw an explanation that what he he knew that his father would be nervous. His father would be very happy 
very happy beyond words that his son was alive, but he knew what it, that originally what, what precipitated the problems was there was jealousy. And he was nervous there would be problems with jealousy again. So Joseph sent up wagons, and these wagons were going to be this symbolic to in the future, but the wagons were a sign of unity, of doing things together. One more idea, I'll do a quick review. In this week's partial, we said we mentioned there's the section about the sota, the magical waters, which as magical as it was, it was dealing with the situation which was unfortunate and certainly inappropriate. The question was how far things went. Right after that is the, where it talks the chapter about the Nazarite, the person who takes on extra spiritual restrictions. And Rashi points out, the Talmud talks, what's the juxtaposition of these two in the Torah in general? You know, there's many ideas, and they're placed in, the, in different places, and, and there's import given to the juxtaposition of ideas. And Rashi brings down, I believe it's from the Gemara, that the juxtaposition is that if you had someone who was in the temple, and he sees this whole debacle, with this couple who's having a strain in their marriage and possibly something very inappropriate that happened, certainly something inappropriate. The question is how inappropriate it was. When a person is exposed to something, says, says Rashi, it inevitably has an impact on you. And it suggests if someone um, witnesses this whole deba inappropriate debacle, he should react in a way that to be extra careful with their own spirituality, because inevitably it had an impact on them. And certainly in the world we're in today, we're exposed to everything under the sun just by, you know, something we have in our pocket or something we have in our house or walking down the street, walking down the store. And we, um, and then it's, this is in a, in a moral way, it's in a character development way. In every way, we certainly the street is not something we want to dictate. Um, our, more, our, our moral norms, our character uh, uh, traits. And we have to be aware of that because we can't underestimate how much that can have harmful impact on us and, and our families. So quick review. We started off by saying that the leaders became leaders because they cared. That's what gave them the, the credentials. Talked about the in Judaism, everything, even very physical things, have potential to be uplifted, and they are, they can, and they can be holy. We talked about how important peace is. Even God sacrifices His own respect for, for that. We talked about how important it is to show people respect, to give them the, the dignity of showing our face to them, and our interest in them, and being pleasant with them. We talked about it's important to be aware of why a person might not do that sometimes. Sometimes they're stuck up on their honor. Sometimes where we have a fear of insecurity and we got to just confront those fears. And we, we can't underestimate the power of how much showing someone a little pleasantness, a little respect can change their day and maybe even change their life. You saw the idea in the Talmud that the world is here to enjoy. You're supposed to enjoy experiences, show the wonderful gifts that the world has from God. We learn from Nisano, the second prince, to try and keep in mind to not incite jealousy or unhealthy competition. Uh, we saw how it's important, even when you have to do your own thing, and often you do have to do your own thing, but to try to find a way 
to have some unity to, to bring people together. And lastly, we pointed out how a person has to realize that you are impacted by who you're around and what you see and try whatever we can to control that. And even if we can't control that, to try to make sure we're proactive to make sure that we stay in the driver's seat as to how we want to act and think and feel, us and our friends and family. So have a wonderful Shabbos. Keep the energy from Shavuos going as we head into the summer. And enjoy that wonderful, uh, wonderful weather.